0: So could you see like the ball drop from where you live?
1: No, no, I'm not in Times Square. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to avoid I try to avoid that area. Yeah. There's so many people there that uh uh it just gets too hectic. I am in Brooklyn, so uh no, no ball is dropped over here. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well I know how we're starting the show now.
2: Easter group now turning cold, Angels twelve. Bogey-Dope no Western Group. 285-N-23, brawl. Okay, I'm going well south OI, 14 miles. Red
3: Knight,
4: Slasher, 02 copies. Clear to kill.
3: Clear
2: to kill. Clear to kill. He's a man. He's a man. He's a man. We're going on back,
5: baby. Bendy, let's come hard left. <laughs> Roger, he's going to do it. He's hammered. That's him, right there.
0: Okay, well, uh, welcome and thanks for joining us. And we'll, uh, you know, feel free to chime in and talk about whatever you want. And we're all just kind of getting together. And I don't know if you listen to the show. I, I wouldn't blame you if you don't. But we uh, just kind of sit around and talk about flight simulation, which typically revolves around DCS, but not always uh, DCS. But uh, I guess we'll go around the horn, our little uh, pre flight checks, as we call them. And uh, I'll start with you, Rob, because I know you've been probably playing just a ton of, of games.
4: Yes. Yes. Uh, no, I've actually been trying to work on some skills, um, in terms of making some campaigns. So I spent a little bit of time over the holidays doing that and I I realized I, I really suck at it. So I will continue to, to do that. But that's been a lot of fun.
0: What kind of campaigns? What are you, what are you talking about?
4: I've been, I've been pondering, uh, trying to put together, starting with a mission and trying to learn the ins and outs of the editor. Oh. And trying to sit there and like, "Okay, how do you take this helicopter and then drop drop off some uh <laughs> embarking disembarking and that that and has me flummoxed I will tell you th- so that, that never worked it it doesn't work <laughs> ever okay well, that's a good that's a that's a, that that's a great tip from baltic dragon Bal- uh, here <laughs> it doesn't work ever
0: <laughs> baltic Dragon. It's it. <laughs> it did work
4: and then it didn't and then I'm like, what did I do it, wrong so
0: it, it can work but it doesn't always work i've i've if you're just using like the stock dcs mission editing of picking up troops and then dropping them off it's it's convoluted and i have made it work you have to basically create the squad tell them to load you know match up the waypoints essentially and then you have to tell them to unload and then have the aircraft unload it it's 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 finicky it can work but it doesn't yeah, always well work.
4: well i and based on this conversation i I'm I'm gonna give up on that task, but trying to learn some of the ins and outs of like setting setting some parameters. So it was kind of fun playing around with that over the holidays, and I'm gonna
5: continue to explore that. So we'll see. Rob, if you want to have some extra fun, take the Mm -hmm. super carrier, put fourteen jets on it, and make them take off without crashing one into another. (laughs) That's great fun. (laughs)
0: And then hope it survives the next
5: update. Yeah, that that's.
4: That that will be interesting. I will I will take that challenge and let you know what I find out, or or if I give up, I'll let you know that too.
0: Well, we've been <laughs> telling BD that he needs a sidekick to help him, so now we know who to enlist. Yes, you're hired. I, I would be
4: happy to do it. Uh, I would I would be happy to do it. Um, actually, I was thinking about it and uh, going down this road, so I'm just starting s- small, but we'll see where we end up. And then the other thing I've been trying to do is then I've been looking you know, from the hardware side, I've been saying, man, I gotta get rid of a lot of stuff. So even uh, uh, just trying to get rid of, I was looking on the shelf in the garage and I have some old uh, Thrustmaster stuff and uh, just some stuff I just never use. So I'm trying to find a way to get rid of that. So I'll be doing that over the next few weeks as well.
0: Right on. BD, what about you? What have you been up to?
5: Too many things, I guess. I'm I've, I've trying to, to, to check wh- what I need to do in 2023, and there's so many things I just don't even know where to start. But it's fun. I like juggling between different jobs, works, and campaigns. So I'm mostly now working and focusing on the F 15 Strike stri- Eagle, uh, the manual, and the training missions that will come with it. So it's, it's pretty fun to write a full manual of a of a jet like this it's, it's quite complicated but fun
0: yeah i can imagine especially for that one because i mean you were telling us last time it's it's not easy like it's a complicated jet
5: yeah and i mean for, fortunately so far there's no uh backseater ai yet it will be there but i can just focus on the single player stuff which is already a lot do
0: you still i mean obviously this is your side hustle making campaigns you have like a real job but i imagine it takes so much of your time do you still get to just like have fun with dcs or is it still fun for you to make campaigns or is it just like this is just more
5: work no it's it's still fun it's work but it's fun i have my main work and i do it in the evenings so whenever i have time but it's it's still good fun
0: yeah. right on enigma what about you what have you been up to
1: I actually have a question for ba- for Baltic Dragon Dragon real Do quick. It. I would I would um for the missions that you make, I would be curious to know how much um, time makes up creating new missions versus uh, maintaining old ones, like through DCS patches. Uh, it's- That's a
5: very good question. Uh, So, I'd say the more missions I have out, the more time it takes to keep them updated. So now it's probably 60/40, with 60 percent being making new stuff and 40 percent being
1: uh, keeping track of the old stuff and making sure it works. Okay, so uh, that's that's interesting. So, so to answer your question, uh, Casmo, so um, I'm kind of in a in a similar boat, which is. We have been in maintenance mode for our server and in the background, we're building uh, a new uh, campaign engine, if you will, uh, for the servers. We're calling it version two Um, and and it's been stop and go, stop and go for a couple different reasons, but um, we're picking it back up as of yesterday and are are building it out. And um, this question that I just asked Baltic um, is a big reason why we're redoing everything. We're quite literally starting from scratch um, and rebuilding the whole server. Um, and it's because we want to try to cut down on the maintenance now that we are more familiar with how DCS works and and what doesn't work, <laughs> so we can we can avoid those pitfalls. Yeah,
0: no, that's good. And I definitely I, I want to take some time here in a few minutes and let you talk about that server. I I've been on it like once or twice, but I'm not very good at DCS. Is the bottom line. Um, so I, I try to avoid public servers because it just makes me look foolish. Um, but I, it's something that I, I strive to be Is I want to, I want to get into the cold war stuff and I want to talk about that with you as well. Um, okay, well, cool. Uh, same question, I guess for you though, Enigma, I mean, because that is, I mean, I don't know like how much of your side hustle that is working on that server and stuff, but do you get to still just kind of play for fun or is it just like focused completely on creating content and working on the server?
1: It goes in ebbs and flows. Um, I would say this last month has been the biggest month where it's been pretty much over 95% just pure work on the server and not really playing on it. Um, Other times it'll be the complete opposite. Uh, When we were really actively developing on it, I would say it was probably 60, 40, 60% working on it, maybe 70, 30, 70% working on it. It does take a considerable amount of time just because it's... The way i like to think about it it's like a restaurant that that never closes right and there's always customers in there and there's there's always uh you know you walk into a a restaurant and you see a bunch of spilled milk on the ground you're gonna you're gonna walk out so we want to make sure that it's uh it's a good place and, and and it looks cleanly if you will
0: yeah okay fair enough excellent uh well i guess for me i worked most of the holidays unfortunately um since our last uh recording but I did make a couple Apache videos. You know, I'm, I always kind of reach the end of like, well, what else is there to talk about? And I but I also notice I consistently get asked the same questions about stuff that I've already covered. So I think I'll just start redoing the same video over and over and publish it every six months. Um, I think that'll be fine. Uh, but then with uh, some of my Patreon guys, we got together, started playing il two again. We finally got the server working which uh, the il two. Multiplayer experience is a very challenging one. It is not plug and play the way DCS is um, in a lot of ways. Uh, The mission editor is definitely not uh, friendly, but there is that Pat Wilson campaign generator that's kind of randomly generates stuff. So that's very easy to use, but then again, just doing a multiplayer uh, setup, the server sometimes doesn't work. It's a little finicky and stuff. But we've been doing some P38. Uh, I, th- I think that game has changed because I feel like I'm getting shot the shit like huge from ground fire and I used to not have that problem so I don't know what's going on with the game but uh, it's still enjoyable uh, I like the p38 it's a lot of fun um, except when I get shot down it's not as fun uh, but I do like the damage model I mean I've had like my landing gear blown off like like my wingman man will be like dude you just lost a wheel you know so it's like coming back to the airfield I've got to make a belly landing and things like that so Uh, And then we are trying to get into the Mirage. In fact, hopefully tonight we'll do a little bit of Mirage training. I I really want to get to a point where I've got like a a cabal of dudes who are like pretty decent at the old school Mirage uh, with, again, a view to, you know, getting on Enigma server and and doing some some content like that. But, um, yeah, excellent. Um, BD, you look like you wanted to say something.
5: No. No, I have nothing to say. You just have an inquisitive Okay, that's fine. Fair (laughs) enough.
1: Anyway, go ahead. No, the one thing, the one thing that you said, Kazma, that, that stuck out to me, which is interesting, is um, with IL two, the damage model. IL 2s with all the franchise, with the entire across the entire franchise, with all the games they've had, has always had a really good damage model, and it's always been really interesting where something that's really mundane, which is going back and landing, can actually become really fun and challenging because your plane's just shot up like really badly, and like getting hit is not as uh, definitive, I guess, as like getting hit by a missile in DCS. You know what I mean? Because like you get pop by a missile, and it's like everything's all the systems are gone, right? But <laughs> so, so it's kind of neat to to kind of limp back home.
0: No, it is. I think, um, and I've always tried to strive. Even when I was just goofing around on stream or something, if I took damage in DCS or whatever I was playing, it was always like it became a mini game to me. Like, okay, I want to get home. I want to see is this survivable. Like, yes, I've blown off half of my wing. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it home, or I've lost an engine or something. And so, yeah, IL-2 is very good for that. It's just obnoxious <laughs> how easily sometimes you get hit. But I, I think that's true across the board. I can't think of any flight sim where there wasn't, like, just this really, really good ground-based uh, anti-aircraft fire. Um, but, no, I agree with you. I think it there's there's a lot of, seems like, uh, to, to me, a lot of complexity about what kind of damage you can take, and especially something like the P-38 where you've got two engines you know, and all of a sudden you see one of them's just kind of running rough, and, and you know, eventually it may seize up on you. And now you got to feather the props and stuff like that. It, it does kind of become a little bit of an adventure. It just sucks when you're at that point, and then suddenly you get jumped by you know some some Messerschmitt or something. But um, now I really like Isle too. I, I think um I think it's a good game. I think it needs a complete and total overhaul of its control mapping, because uh, that is an absolute nightmare but other than that I think, it's, I think it's a good game it's definitely good in VR and Flying Circus is amazing in VR But alright well uh, I think that maybe that's a good segue into talking to Enigma about his Cold War server uh, which it seems I mean it's been around, correct me if I'm wrong it's been around for a while but it, it almost seems like in the past few months it's, I don't know, had a resurgence or just, I, I've, I've heard about it more talked about more uh seen it around more so tell us a little bit about the server and what what's going on over there
1: sure there's an ambulance going by so uh (laughs) sorry about that um so this is actually a very good segue because i actually came from aisle two okay is the siren too loud or should i should i mute no you're fine go ahead okay so i actually came from aisle two uh i had played dcs on and off for a couple years but i didn't really dive into it super deep and um i was looking at how many modules i had in dcs and uh tempest who i've known for a long time we, we played world War Two Online together when we were like in middle school or high school so i've known him for a really long time uh, he really likes dcs and he uh, wanted to get involved in trying to make a server and, and he was actually talking with jabbers about it and um I was there like thinking about trying to help. Um, and in the background while I was playing on my own, I used to really like Alpenwolf's cold war server. Um, and I used to play there a lot, but the issue was that they were really European European focused. So if I wasn't able to finish my day job and get home in time, I would miss all the population. Um, so I would maybe play for 30 or 45 minutes and the population would dry up and then it's over. So, um, their, camp, their their server that they were thinking about doing didn't really materialize. And, and I had mentioned, like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this Cold War thing. Um, and then Tempest played Cold War with me, and he, and he really saw uh, the potential of it because it's kind of like where, you know, it's especially the early Cold War stuff, like, you can really see how these planes were coming straight out of World War II, um, but they weren't totally dominated by systems yet, and we thought that was a really compelling thing. Um, so... Uh, you know, decided to put a server together, and the, the focus was really on a dynamic campaign, because I like to get invested into things. So when I think about the games that I used to play, like World War II Online, um, Dota, which has, which has a lot of progression with, with their ranking system, other games that I like, like Foxhole, there's a lot of persistence. Uh, everything you do amounts to something, and Eve is another good example of this. Um, And that was kind of the what we wanted to do. And we set up some pillars of some things that we wanted to avoid. Um, You know, some current servers in DCS have been around for a long time and they've been doing things in a certain way. And I kind of wanted to avoid that. So I'm just so, for example, like blue flag, um, I think you need to have they have like player lives and you need to fuel your aircraft before you take off for some aircraft. and I didn't really wanna do that. Um, what I was telling people when we were originally setting up the server was that our competition is not the other DCS servers. Our competition is Netflix because people only have so much free time and with the sim population getting older and older, people wanna get on and feel like they were able to do something and have an effect, you know, within 30 minutes to an hour and then they can come back on the next day and see how how is the war going, if you will. Um, so that was kinda, how we got started uh the server launched at the November 2021 um and it's pretty much been full since then um we started tracking stats we have like a very heavy duty stat system that special k made uh since we turned that on in April 2022 and since then there's been about 15,000 unique players and about Twenty-three or twenty-seven years worth of playtime. So every single month, there's wow. about a year to two years of playtime on the server.
0: Wow! Ooh. Holy smokes! Yeah, that's wild. And so, when you say it's you know persistent, I mean, like completely, like every day, it's consistent, or does it reset after a certain time? Like how how does that work?
1: So we have two maps. We have a Syria scenario, which is more like a semi-all aspect scenario. And then we have a Caucasus mission, which is more rear aspect only, like AIM-9Bs only. Um, Some people don't have Syria. They only have Caucasus. So when the mission's on Syria, they will ask, when will the map switch to Caucasus? And we always say when the campaign's over. There's 30 sectors, and it doesn't end until one side owns all of them. And we've had campaigns last as short as three days. We've had campaigns last as long as a month. As soon as the campaign starts, I have no idea how long it's going to take. Um, and we had one campaign that lasted about a month. And the, a lot of people were, or some people were saying, can we switch to a new mission? I want to fly over a different map. And I was like, and we said, no, like, we don't want to deject people from the story that's being told. Like, this is a campaign. Finish it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um- well that's cool and, and that's good stick to your guns because I, I think anyone who's hosted anything like that i mean we had a little server you know nothing nothing to your level but we tried to make somewhat realistic missions and then yeah people want to ask for things like well this is what we have like this is what we're doing this is what we want to do there's plenty of other servers you can go to um how do you how do you do that like as far as the um you said there's 30 zones or whatever how do you conquer the zone is it you got to take like an airfield or is it some sort of infrastructure there
1: So the way that it works is um, there's frontline units, there's depots that are further back, and then there's industrial targets, which are at the very, very far back. And um, at the beginning, each side has a thousand health points, if you will. Right. And that breaks down between the depots the factories and the frontline units and the players bomb those targets. And after two hours, the server calculates and says how much health is remaining on both sides. And if there's a large enough of a variance between the two sides, it says, okay, this side has uh, gained a big enough of an advantage, they gain a sector. And then the units repopulate, and then it goes for another two-hour span, and it calculates, and then it'll move, and then the server resets every four hours. And when, it, when the server resets, it just it pops back up to where the front lines used to be.
0: Okay. Is it completely PVP, or is there, obviously there's AI ground units, but is there AI, air units or how does that work
1: a little bit not too much but there are some so like um these factories i mentioned in the rear like there'll be a uh ai uh like b52 runs or tu-16s the badgers um and there's also like naval convoys for ships they do like um in like a really abstract way we try to semi-simulate like a mine laying operation so we say if like those boats get to a point and they move around for five minutes they lay their they lay their mines down and then they destroy merchant ships so uh, that's kind of how we do it but it's it's definitely it's pvp ve but the emphasis is definitely on the pvp part because it's it's really heavily heavily populated with players and with the limitations of the dcs engine and the netcode and all that uh, we can't there's only so much ai we can put into it there's like about a thousand units uh on the server uh counting everything but it's we can't do much more than that so what does it look like from a hardware standpoint in hosting the server? So we've had three different servers. Uh, we actually just got a new one. It's actually the same company that Hoggett uses uses and Flashpoint Levant. It's called OVH. Uh, we use a slightly bigger machine than the Hoggett one. So it has a 5800X. I think it has 64 gigs of RAM. And uh, and yeah, that machine flies. It actually works really well. We had a home box before. Um but we don't use that one anymore. But uh, on that last home box that we had, okay, so this is interesting. So we found, (laughs) this is great. So we actually, um, Drewski made a video about the server and the server was already full. And then when he made that video, the server was like permanently full. And in DCS, most servers hang out about 50 player capacity. So we were at 56 at 56, but if you go and try to join the server when it's 56 out of 56, what happens? it says, uh, server's full, it refuses your connection. But there were so many people trying to do that and spamming to trying to get in, it was actually lagging the server, it was like a DDoS. So what we did was, uh, because there's no queue system, right? Like other games like Squad will have a queue system trying to get in, so it was, the popularity of the server was quite literally DDoSing it. So what we did was, as a test, we said, that was our theory, because our code didn't change, we're like, why is the server lagging so bad? So we bumped it up to 80, and uh we had 80 players on the server at one time and then the DDoS started again cuz there was more and more players hitting it so then we decided to bump it up to like 200 to see what would happen and it got up to like 120 concurrent players before DCS died um mm. so so yeah, yeah. Well,
0: that's a ton of people um yeah i never thought about that the the lack of queuing and what that would do to the server so, uh, and maybe you said it and I missed it. Is it, a, is it a computer at somebody's house or are you guys renting a, a system?
1: It used to be a computer at someone's house, but now, now we rent it at like a professional company. Uh, it's the same one that Hoggett and Flashpoint Levant uses. Uh, I think we just, uh, but yeah, it's, um, you know, we have that. And then other, other hardware is we use the Overlord bot and that's reliant on the Microsoft API from Azure. So it's a gci bot so one thing that i did not particularly like about one thing that i think that dcs really suffers from is a spotting and spotting's really hard in this game and i think it's felt much more in the world war ii planes and the cold war planes basically the planes with no radars or the really crappy radars and the default dcs AWACS system is just inadequate um, you ask for bogey dope, and it, it'll tell you about a contact 100 kilometers away when you might have a guy six kilometers away from you. Um, you know, it's just it's just one of those things, and I get it. Like, it, what you know, it's it's a longstanding system. So, uh, Rooney Jones, who's a community member, uh, made a bot called Overlord Bot, and basically, it's a bot that you talk to through SRS, and you can just say bogey dope, and it'll give you a bogey dope for the next immediate contact that's closest to you. And one of the things that we did, which was as far as I know, I think we were I think we were the first ones to do this or one of, or one of the fir- one of the first ones to do it was we took off the line of sight re- uh, limitation for the AWAC system. So that means if someone was flying in a canyon, they were they would still pop up on a bogey dope. And the idea was that we wanted to remove the incentive from flying low, because if you fly low, you're in the ground clutter, you're harder to see and you could sneak up on people. And it's not really fun for the winner or the loser when you're just flying and you don't even get a merge warning and you just get popped, right? It's not really a, a fun fight. So we decided to get rid of that and try to break the meta, if you will, which, was, uh, which is very prevalent, I think, in DCS, which is like fly as low as possible, as fast as possible, and just stay out of radar. Um, so that was a, another big hardware thing that we added.
0: No, I agree with that because that's my every IL2 online experience is fly long, fat, dumb, and happy, and then suddenly die. Um, but no, I, I agree with that strategy as well, because you're right. Too many people kind of focus on that. And it's like, well, that's not real life. Like there's a lot of reasons why that's not real life and we can see that on TV. Um, so that's, that's cool. No, I, I, like I said, I've only kind of touched your server and I, I definitely, I'm excited to to give it a shot. It sounds pretty cool.
5: How many people do you have uh, as a team? Cause saying we are doing something. So how many people are working full-time on server?
1: Yeah, so there's about 15 of us. Um, I'll say that I am probably the dumbest one out of all of them. Uh, I can't code anything. Um, so the developers are the ones that build it. Um, I handle a lot of like the marketing and, and some of the QA. And then we have um, mission editors that also help us like play slots and, 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 to, and to do all that. So there's about 15 of us. Um, and we really try to focus on trying to squash bugs when they pop up and and to document them. And, um, it definitely takes a tribe. Like DCS is a very time intensive game. Um, you know, not a lot of things are easy, so it takes a lot of people.
4: Yeah. That's a quick question. So you, as you talk about making these modifications, are they being made within the DCS framework or changing Lua files or is there something else, uh, that
1: you're actually doing custom code to make these changes? Uh, we try to do as much custom code as we can. Okay. So, you know, we do use a framework. We use Moose, okay. um, which we're probably going to move away from at some point. But, uh, yeah, we, a lot of the code is basically just things that the developers have made.
4: And then, so when something comes out, let's like say when 2.8 comes out, how long does it take for you guys to catch up?
1: So, um... One thing that I'll say is that um, so I actually don't think a lot of people know about this. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'm just going to say it anyways. Um, I think ED did a really good job about um, reaching out to us really quickly. I think within the first week, they reached out and said, um, this server looks really interesting. We like how um, you're giving light to modules that, you know, weren't really on the forefront of like the community's mind, and um, they were willing to give us um, tester accounts so we can go test the server code for upcoming patches. That way, like their code doesn't break our, or sorry, that their patches don't break our code. And if it does, then we could flag it to them and say, "Hey, like something happened. This isn't working." Um, you know. So that's actually really good because that's more visibility than other games. Like I've been a tester with IL2 and that doesn't really happen in that community. Um, so to ED's credit, they were actually pretty good about that. Um, so yeah.
4: That's great. No, I mean, getting, the, uh, getting that lead into it to make sure and to test it thoroughly. That's fantastic.
0: Well, and he brings up a good point and I know he and I were involved in a conversation. I'll just leave it at that. But there was a conversation about there's a ton of modules in DCS. There's only a few that seem to get a lot of attention, and there's a ton of great ones. And then that kind of leads us into the discussion of Cold War, because I agree with with Enigma's sort of you know concept of um, the way forward for ED is the way back, because we've kind of reached I don't want to say the end, but we're pretty close to the end when it comes to modern aircraft. Like, like what else can you do without getting into the realm of like make believe? right because that's what i love about this community we will we will lambast any modules flight model and say that it is jacked up and then in the same breath download an f-22 mod and be like well this is fine like that dude has any idea the guy who made it has any idea what an f-22 flies like or looks like or anything like that but that's totally fine right um but the apache doesn't hover right even though i've never been in an apache um i'm gonna I'm rant today as far as when it comes to flight models but um but there's so much in the background. there's so many things if we look back. And of course, everyone's talking about Vietnam. We need a Vietnam map, blah, blah, blah. Well, if you could tell me it won't be a slideshow, then sure, I'll take a Vietnam map. But I'm very interested in those aircraft, and I think that is the future. Uh, and I think there's a lot of accessibility because you look at an f eighteen, like i love I love BD to death. Dude, his campaigns would destroy my brain because there's no way that I have the time or the attention to be able to learn the f eighteen <laughs> to the to the capabilities that I need to properly fly those campaigns. Um, and know the, the A-10 as well, there's just there's just so much complexity. But then you hop into something like the Mirage and yeah, it's a little confusing at first, but you start pushing a couple of buttons, you're like, you know, that's the good thing about an uh, uh, an analog aircraft is that button only does one thing and it says on the button what it does, you know? It's like, I don't have to fiddle through 10 different MFD pages to find the one thing that I'm looking for um so i think that uh the cold war stuff there's a lot of replayability there's a lot of accessibility there but there's just not a lot of emphasis and you kind of see it on youtube too like anyone who does content for that stuff it's like well all right you get a a few views but god forbid if you you make a video with an f-18 in it like everyone's got to watch it because everyone wants to be a freaking hornet pilot thanks top gun um so i don't know i'm excited about more cold war stuff
5: I just love hearing what you said about complexity. That coming from the Apache pilot. That's yeah.
0: Apache is easy. <laughs> Everyone thinks it's complex. They just they don't know how to fly it. I swear to God, I I I went into it today. Some dude was talking about how the flight model must be broken because he pushed the nose forward and it tried to flip. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I flew around for an hour and I finally replicated what he's doing. He's doing something wrong. Like I'm sorry, but you're not flying the helicopter the right way. But anyway, it's fine. I may or may not put out a video about it. Um, but no, I, so Enigma, I mean, talk, talk to us about Cold War, like just your thoughts on it. I know you've put out some videos, uh, or a video talking about, you know, the Cold War and, and how that is a future for ED. You want to expand on that? Any?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are some very real limitations that have been confirmed, um, which is that some things are just not allowed to be modeled right so to me when I think about what I think is interesting is asymmetry right and I think about games like um what's a good example trying to think of an example that people would know um there was this really interesting first person shooter called natural selection which was like space marines versus aliens to me that is very interesting and I mean aliens that don't have guns I mean like aliens that bite right To me, that is a very interesting first-person shooter, more interesting than something where it's like Counter-Strike, where it's like guns versus guns, right? right? It's something different, something to think about. Right, everyone's got an equivalent
0: level of technology or something.
1: uh, Right, exactly. And um, for flight sims, I actually think what makes it really interesting is the asymmetry, because coming into a fight and knowing, hey, especially, especially World War II, which I think is like the best, it's, it's, you know, like, oh, I outclimb him. I need to take this fight vertical. Or, like, oh, I outdive him or I outturn him or whatever. Like, you're trying to fight in a way, and the other guy's trying to fight in, in the way that he wants to fight. And it's just kind of a, a, a clash of design, right? And it's, there's so much context and history of like why the countries developed their planes and designed them in a certain way. And, you know, before the Cold War server, I think it's pretty safe. Or our cold war server, I should say. I think it's pretty safe that like the big community servers more or less boil down to the F16 versus the F18, and maybe and maybe a few Tomcats, uh, you know, in the rear, you know, f- uh, firing off their Phoenixes at max range and when whatever. So like that was going on, and I I just found it incredibly ironic because this game which markets itself as the most realistic simulator out there this community that loves to get super pedantic about things and argue that a rivet's missing in, in a cockpit or whatever that the most popular servers boil down to f-16s versus F- f-18s and to me that just seemed crazy um ridiculous even and um i just I don't really like running a server. I never really wanted to do it. But I was looking at the MiG-19 in particular. I'm like, this is a really cool module. This is a really cool plane. You can't fly it anywhere at all hours in the day. And I was like, there should be a home for this server. And the MiG-21 also a neat plane, F5, whatever, uh, Vigan. So like, the way I've always told people is that when someone announces a module coming out, the default answer should be, it's not going to be on the server because it needs to have a compelling reason to be on the server because we're trying to make something interesting and to give a home for these modules because um the fights are interesting, they take a different skill set, and I don't see a path forward for ED and it's it's not and it's not their fault, you know what I mean? It's just there's they've already modeled so much. It's like how much more can they do? And if it's another AIM 120 plane, again it's not really asymmetrical. Um if they get into the Russian stuff, great. Um, but you know, is there really parity if they start modeling a, a modern red plane? I, I don't know. I, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. So um, that was kind of that was kind of the, the, the overarching idea of that video when I said that Cold War is the future because I don't see how it can't be the future. It's that or World War Two, and World War Two is one of those eras where you need like I don't know dozens and dozens of planes modeled in order for it to really feel alive, and, and yeah. we're a long way from that.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I this is not a popular thing for me to say to ED, but I kind of wish they hadn't touched World War II. And I only say that because, you know, I'm not trying to compare them to IL-2, but IL-2 has already got a lock on quite a bit of stuff. I think ha- if they really wanted to go World War II, I think what they should have done was just said, forget Europe, we're going Pacific, and just focused on the Pacific right from the get-go. Because IL2, unless you want to play what IL2 or what is it, 1946 or whatever, like where is the Pacific at? So I think if they had gone that direction, it would have been a more popular move. But then they're just trying to replicate, I think, what IL2 is already doing. I don't. Know, that's just my thoughts.
1: So, so we actually run a second server off off our Discord, which is an IL2 1946 server, and it's Pacific. And and we're using the IL2 1946 campaign system, um, this the CO system. And um, for the exact same reason you mentioned, like people want Pacific, but like no one wants to touch it right now. like none of the companies want to touch it for whatever reason. So we decided that, you know, we're just going to do it ourselves. And some members in the community said, Hey, you know, Enigma, this looks like a really cool thing. Like, do you mind like trying to gather, gather players and we'll build it. So we've done it. And I think the last event that we had, I think we had like 85 concurrent players playing and it's like a Guadalcanal campaign. And the dynamic campaign system in Isle two is insane. The, the damage state of trees persists between resets. If you go and knock out an engine on a battleship and the, and the server goes down, when the server comes back up, that ship is still there with the engine knocked out. Like it, it, it tracks the damage of the individual compartments on ships.
0: Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I just think that's a missed opportunity. Like, I mean, shit, the map would be easy. Just build a map with water. Razbam's already done the work. Just take it. Just take the South Atlantic map, just cut it in half. There you go, Pacific map. Um, put a couple islands there. We get the Marianas. I think they're making a World War II version of Marianas, or they, they have. I don't—I don't know to keep track. But um, yeah, just bring me some of those birds. I, I do and then think. Got it. Go I
4: ahead. do think that um, Nick Gray has a fondness for that. So sure. even when you talk about, you know, the guy owns his own set of aircraft. So in the conversation I had with him and some other folks some time ago, you know, he talked about, you know, those are things that are really a passion for him. So sure. I imagine it's a balance internally within AD to figure out what they're doing. But uh, I do believe that is a, a certainly sea a, a C-level priority,
1: if you will. Yep. Yeah. But, but then it goes back to what Casmo was saying, which was about what can be modeled or not, right? Because the Japanese aircraft, like the documentation is a little bit tricky for them. So... Yep. The the unpopular opinion that I have is I really like FC3 a lot. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite modules, and a lot of people don't like it because it's not full fidelity. But I would be willing to accept like a FC, you know, Flaming Cliffs Pacific module pack, right? Where if they had to cut corners because they can't get documentation, to me, that seems reasonable, right? I would rather mm-hmm. have that than... Mm-hmm. Not have the Pacific at well, all,
0: exactly, and that's my thing. Like, and this is where I go back full circle to flight model conversations from people who've never flown any of these aircraft. Like, I am willing to accept a half assed if you will, module. Like, does it fly like an airplane? Yes. Does it do weird stuff that an airplane doesn't do? No. Cool. Slap a Daggum Corsair skin on it, and let's go fly. Like, I think a vast majority of people would be okay with that. You know, it, it's a game of chasing like the vocal ten percent. Who, like you said, are rivet counters, and they're going to worry about all this nonsense. Um, and and the the result is, well, we're just going to miss out on stuff. I have said that for the longest time. I think there's too much emphasis for certain people about flight model. It's just, just should just should it generally fly like a helicopter? Should it generally fly like an airplane? Yes. And then we can get into those variances. But I you know I acknowledge what you're saying that you know they don't have access to a certain piece of data. Well, guess what? That means neither to the player base. So so nobody can say, well, this zero doesn't fly right. Well, guess what? You didn't fly a zero. No one you knew flew a zero. Does it fly roughly like what we think a zero flew like? Yes. Enjoy your video game. But I don't know. That's just me.
4: No, I, I, I agree completely. As a matter of fact, I would argue that there probably needs to be something that's in between, um, you know, the fly game in the game mode from behind where you see the back of the aircraft and something that happens to be, you know, push every single button. So you know, and and that's the thing. It's like right now, from my perspective, um, you know, it's hard to get other people who are not interested in it um, in in a study sim. Again, not trying to take away from the value of a study sim, but between here and there, there's going to be something in between. And 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 I think to your point, there's the good enough, right? And that's you know. Hey, hey, let's, you know, let's get this stuff out there and play it. And sure, you're, you're not going to, you'll always have the folks that are going to squawk. But it doesn't mean that you can't have a great experience and build from there.
0: Well, here's what I wonder too. Like, I, I hear the term study level thrown around. I wonder how much of that actually throws people off versus the hardware requirements. I'd be willing to bet the hardware requirements are more of a turnoff to, to the average person looking to get into DCS or, or any flight sim more so than well, that's I gotta a great learn question. all these buttons you know and it's only getting worse i mean those hardware is out of control at this point there's so much but i don't know
5: i think it's both i mean i think it's uh if, if you look at a manual if you're a casual gamer and you you get a manual of 700 pages well, and you true. think oh <laughs> shit i have to go through that it's it's not really easy
0: well, but then that goes back to what Enigma's been saying. It's like some of these older planes—they're not that complicated. I mean, uh-huh. yeah, if you want to fly it to like it's true, right on the the edge. Uh, there's all, obviously a lot more to it than just normal. But um, they don't all have to be F-18s. You know what I mean? Like again, the Mirage is fairly simple, fairly straightforward. The F-5, all you know, all those, all those like 50s, 60s, 70s era type planes are generally speaking. Or- you only have to know enough to be dangerous. You don't have to know all the the rivets and and, and insides and outs. But um but the, but then it goes full circle. Those things just aren't as popular. And then and then I think we could really point the media on on a lot of that and say, well, it's not popular because people don't know it. You know, people. I mean, shit. Look at any channel that had anything with F-18s right after Top Gun, they exploded. Right, anything that showed any sort of F-18s, oh, taxiing out on the carrier. You know, and everyone's like, there's a million views watching this guy taxi on the DCS carrier, you know, stuff like that. I'm making that up, but they probably exist. There's probably a video just like that um, <laughs> because that's what people gravitate towards. If there was a movie about, uh, I don't know, a, a mirage, then, then they'd probably get a little bit more push on a mirage. But anyway, I'm I'm encouraged and glad to hear that Enigma got, uh, that, that ED reached out to Enigma because I think that's a great thing in, in recognizing that, hey, we've got this product that's actually pretty good. But no one plays it because no one really knows about it because there's no chance to play it. Um, and yeah, where else are you gonna play that? You play on a normal server, just like a regular Airquake server. Yep, you better take a Hornet or you better take an F-16 because otherwise you're just gonna get munched on.
5: <laughs> so something I like to say I mean, we can we can go on. Uh, I'm not a big multiplayer guy, so I've always been saying that. That's why I'm rather quiet because of my server experience is close to zero. But I'm thinking maybe we could we could now take a break from multiplayer and go to the campaign we're going to feature in this episode.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that. So we are... What, you did the interview, I think, right? Just you? Or did you have anybody with you?
5: Uh, with Tricker.
0: Okay, you and Tricker. Okay, and then just set us up for us. What what, what was the interview about and who was it with?
5: So we've been talking to Reflected and to Paco Kirichi, who is the director of the Speed and Angels movie, a documentary about the Tomcat pilots. And also is an author of the alliance of the sky book uh both are pretty good and and he and and uh, reflected got together and and for well they they built a campaign it's a training campaign or starts off as a training campaign for a tomcat but then goes into something different more more like a normal combat campaign so it's again a good merge of of a great uh third party campaign developer Reflected, and a real-life uh, Tomcat pilot who and so with lots of experience. Uh, so I've, I've played a few missions, I haven't finished it yet, because I, I completely suck in Tomcat, but uh, it, it's, it's going to be a really, really great campaign. Hey guys, uh, so today we are here with uh, Paco Kirichi and with Reflected, and we're going to talk a little bit about a new upcoming campaign for the F-14, it's ARB guys, B. B. So for F14B uh, campaign, is a training campaign based on an excellent movie and book by Paco, Speed and Jills. And so, guys, I, I don't want to take too much time. I'll just say I've tried it. I'm not a big F14. Actually, I don't know almost anything about F14. So maybe let's start from this. If you have someone like me who knows the cockpit overlay, the front seat, and uh, more or less knows how the hortas works or, uh, and jumps into this campaign, is he going to learn something, or he needs to know much more before he starts?
3: Well, I mean, the the campaign and Reflected will dive in on the specifics, but it's really designed to take somebody who's pretty familiar with the DCS Tomcat, um, put them into a a simulated condensed F-14 RAG, so the training squadron. They get 10 missions, including carry landings. And then the last five missions in the campaign are actual combat. Um, so it's, it's an accelerated, uh, you know, competent Tomcat Bravo driver.
6: Yeah. So the answer to that question is kind of yes and no, because if somebody doesn't really know much about the F-14, but they can sort of fly it, yes, they will learn a lot about the F-14, but they would learn a lot about the F-14, even if they would consider themselves proficient in the Tomcat. But, um. In real life, and Paco could tell a lot more about this. You didn't even get to sit in the F-14 and go up before uh, you passed all kinds of theoretical exams and simulations and whatnot. So in theory, you were an expert of the Tomcat, and then they get, then you got to sit in the jet. But Paco, correct me if I'm wrong.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. So before we ever, so the genesis of where this campaign starts with, um, which is. Fam, one in the rag. So, really, your first flight as a Tomcat student. But the genesis of where you were, your capabilities should be when you got there uh, came from two things. One, I got to sit in on a bunch of uh, DCS games and be like the color commentary. And I saw that people were incredibly competent at flying their planes, but they just didn't know any of the tactics. Like, they were just, it was like watching Braveheart with a bunch of jets, you know, people just <laughs> going at each other and, you know, shooting missiles and yelling and then turning around and running away. And so, um, you know, they, they knew how to fly the plane, but they didn't know how to, how to use the weapon system in conjunction with other people. Uh, and then the other thing is like, uh, reflected said when, before you ever sat in a real life Tomcat, you had gone through a month of simulators, you had procedure trainers, and you could literally put a blindfold on and find every switch in the cockpit and know how to start the airplane and know how to go through all the emergency procedures. So... Uh, when you actually did sit and fly in the airplane, even though it was your first flight, you actually felt relatively competent.
5: And you had uh, your experience from it, other trainers, like other aircraft. so you also were accustomed to flying yeah. in general, right?
3: You were accustomed to flying, exactly. But yeah, that it, it's amazing how little that actually helps.
5: Okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, the point being, like flying an airplane is such a small part of what you do as a Navy fighter pilot, right? Like it's it's assumed that you can fly an airplane, like you can walk down the street and chew gum at the same time. That's an assumed baseline skill. And then everything else is thrown on top, right? (laughs) So you got to work the radar, work the radio, fly low-level, drop bombs, shoot guns. Flying is, you better be able to fly or you're not even going to be here.
5: Yeah. Well, I assume most of our DCSs are able to fly, fly, at least at DCS. So that's going to help them. And they're proficient in many different uh, platforms, right? But
6: yeah, let's hope it's not going to be their first module. Like they just bought the Tomcat, they just downloaded the DCS, just got their first joystick, and then they download yeah. the campaign. Then it's. Uh, uh, you're yeah, going to get difficult. lots
5: of great Steam reviews. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. my joystick doesn't work. This campaign sucks. <laughs> Things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but from what I've seen, as I said, I've only managed to fly first mission so far, uh, and I'm really amazed at the level of detail. But also, what I like is uh, you, you really feel like you're in the. App there in the rack all the procedures the take of the the t- taxi clearance delivery 80s all that stuff is in there which is great so it adds yep. a lot of immersion to the training and so that's that's going to be awesome and also i noticed i know from reflected that you have a cast of voice actors that were really the original cast for the movie right uh, before
3: uh or, s- some so megan who plays who, whose character Slick is the lead of, of the game, she was one of the stars of Speed and Angels. So, yes, she her voice is consistent throughout the, the video game. I'm sorry, the, the game. Uh, I'm in there as well for most of it, but not all of it. And, um, you know, then I had my old Rio play her Rio, and a bunch of uh, – most of the pilots involved in the campaign were people that I know from the Navy. So – you can uh, it will it will actually be really fun to hear what the commentary is on their acting voice acting skills
5: <laughs> yeah, that, that, they're, that, they're not that's funny people when I'm looking for voice actors they often tell me oh no I don't have a like good radio voice but I mean you're not selected to navy to have a good voice right I mean, the, <laughs>
3: No, but I'll tell you what, if you don't have a good voice in the Navy, somebody will tell you. But by the time you're, you've been doing it for six months, so you have a better radio voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no lack of feedback. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I know.
5: Yeah. Okay, so, uh, but and one important thing to note is that the main character, you're a girl, right? Not a, so that will be a new thing in DCS, I guess.
3: Yeah, 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 I don't know. Uh, The main character is a girl. Uh, I don't know if that exists anywhere else at DCS, but yes, you're playing as a badass, slick barley F-14 Bravo fighter pilot.
5: Amazing. How long did it take, the whole production process? Because I understand the campaign is ready, more or less, right now, right?
6: Wow, when did we start? One and a half years ago? Yeah, it took a year and a half, and a lot
3: of that is my fault. Um, I have two other jobs. So I was flying and, and doing some other work. And, uh, you know, I'd have a month where I just couldn't do anything. And then I'd, I'd have two week window and reflect and I would bang out a couple missions. And then so it, it was mostly my fault. I would say probably if you took out all my all the time that I wasn't there, it would have probably taken about six months. I will say that. So I'm a writer uh, and that's, that's where I do most of my stuff. And I, I obviously wrote the campaign. Um, and I just kind of decided I wanted to, I wanted it to feel like a, a movie, like, or, or like you were living through the real thing. And so I would sit down and write something that I thought would be really fun to, to be involved in having no idea whether or not that was possible for Greg to program for reflected a program. And, uh, you know, two days later, he'd send me a link with a, a, a video, a YouTube video of him having played it. And it's, Right out of you know the words that I had thrown on on screen, and it was amazing. Yeah. It was it was you know mind blowing.
5: So, so did you see the whole campaign? All the missions like play through through one after one, or some of it only?
6: I haven't recorded. Some of it, so, yeah, Sorry. I've only recorded some of them. Yeah.
5: yeah. No, I, I know this from working with Jello and Hoser uh, when they wrote stuff. But then quite often I'd have to get back to look. Um, I probably won't be able to introduce. I don't know twenty aircraft and refueling one after another with the AI and DCS <laughs> ain't going to happen yeah.
3: yeah I got some of that feed- feedback as well.
5: Yeah. well but on the other hand it's amazing how much you can achieve with DCS to to make it feel like a real thing
3: yeah no I was I, I was not imagining that he, the world would be able to sort of encompass the magnitude of our vision so once I got a better sense of what we could accomplish then I think it was a little more streamlined
6: me neither actually (laughs) i was really surprised that we could pull off all these uh these ai stuff but yeah my approach with this campaign was to give paco like a blank page and write whatever he wants i didn't want to restrict him with by the way don't even think about doing this because the dcsa AI will not be able to do that so i was just waiting for whatever he came up with and then i thought really hard about how i could Make it happen in DCS. Sometimes I, I had to use cheats that I don't know you would really appreciate, uh, <laughs> Baltic, but I don't know if players will notice it. <laughs> I've,
5: I've been there when, when I was programming some like Alpha Strikes for, uh, for the Raven One, and it took me a, probably 200 iterations of the same mission, just changing some small things to make it work. So I know I've made that mistake yeah. as well, but in the end, it works and it's great.
6: So, yeah, awesome. the worst. I think the worst part was, uh, or the most difficult part was the air-to-ground training mission, where oh. uh, the player flies as a pair with the lead, and they fly like specific patterns, like wagon wheel mm. patterns, at specific altitudes and speeds and and approaches and whatnot, and they have to be in sync. Can you imagine doing that with the DCS AI?
5: <clears throat> yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. It's crazy.
6: Like, but. By default, you tell the DCS AI to attack a ground target, and he flies away and comes back in a level flight at 10,000 K and drops a bomb, and that's it. Yeah. That's the extent of it. If
5: you remember, sorry to be talking about Raven 1, but that's exactly the same thing. If in New Raven 1, when there's the helicopter coming to the carrier, and the AI has to go in front of it and drop the the training bombs twice, just in front of the nose of the mm-hmm. helicopter. So. I thinking that helicopter going with the AI dropping bombs in exactly the same spot every time it was it was probably something similar. Although
6: yeah. Yeah. Well anyway when I played your camp yeah, go ahead. When I played your campaign, uh the new Raven one, I saw in one of the briefings that we would practice low pops. And I was so happy because low pops is also part of uh, of Speed and Angels. And I was so curious how you set it up. And I was looking forward to it, but can I, can I give spoilers? Yeah,
5: you can. Spoilers ahead. that. Warning.
6: Yes. Yeah, so before, <laughs> before it actually happened, uh, there was a call on the radio and the training was cancelled and we had to intercept some bandits and like, oh, damn you, Baltic. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, yeah, you have to do those tricks, so some things are still not possible, like overhead brake, for, for instance, <laughs> which is like an ABC, oh, okay. right? For, for flying. You can kind of do it in DCS, but well. That's it. So okay, which maps do you use? So you say you have ground training, then you have carrier, then you have some combat. On which maps are? Do you need more than one? I guess.
6: Yeah, it's set. Uh, the way I wanted to set it up is to use only one payware map. The other, the other ones should be free, uh, in order to not to make the hurdle uh, too high. But it uses the NTTR map. So Nevada, that's where the rag takes place, and then some of the Caucasus, uh, like on a stand-in for California and the coastline, and then the deployment would happen over the Marianas. And that's a free map as yeah. well. So,
5: okay, that's, that's great. And that's five combat missions, 10 training missions. Sounds like a big, good, good fun. So how, how long, more or less, it takes for the whole campaign from beginning to end? How long is it time-wise?
6: Time-wise, I don't know, there's 16 missions plus one intro and permission, I would say one hour, maybe one and a half. Yeah.
5: So uh, one of the main questions we get usually from the users is, is there air to air refueling involved, which is mandatory in the yeah. campaign? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, Paco, was... you have you have
6: to know that the DCS community is really scared of area refueling. <laughs> they hate it. No, they're, they're not always... the only ones. <laughs> <laughs> My first
3: mission, I mean, I don't know if you want real-life missions, but my first mission, I was flying an A6 over Iraq. And we were supposed to get training uh, to tank off the KC-135, which for the Navy guys is a nightmare, um, en route. But things happened, and we had to be there early. So I'm, I'm leading a mission with a bunch of other airplanes. We have three KC-135s. I've never done it before. I'm the lead. And I'm going up, and I... I mean, I, my hands were so tight on the stick that, you know, my knuckles were white. And I knew that if I had messed it up, broke the broke my plane or broke the basket, that everything was going to get screwed up. And that was one of the most stressful missions I ever had in the Navy. So nobody wow. likes
6: tanking, especially at night.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
6: <laughs> but just, Just a message to the DCS players, you're going to have to tank, but... Uh, you're gonna do it with Paco, and he's gonna teach you how to do it. That's the point of the campaign to so campaign you'll right. it, be best no, now or never
2: <laughs> No, guys, yes. look,
5: let's face it. You have to do it sooner or later If you want to be a serious DCS player like a virtual pilot, you have to know how to do it Full stop. Yeah,
3: well, it's part of our training unlike the way I learned it's actually part of the rag training So you'll go through a mission where you actually learn how to properly tank
5: Yeah, I don't know I haven't tried it yet with the Tomcat, but knowing how difficult it is to keep it straight and level, it's probably not very easy <laughs> from what I've seen so it's far. It's not that hard. <laughs>
3: you just got to lighten up your grip there, about Ah, that. yeah.
5: There's some say like two, two fingers on, almost. And But there's also with something with the wings, right? You need to put them in a certain configuration. It's easier then? No. no. Well,
3: I don't know. I never did. Okay. And maybe in DCS you need to, but in the real world, I never did. Ah.
5: And have you have you tried DCS, Paco? Like you've flown yourself?
3: Uh, very little bit. In fact, I was at a party over the weekend. I don't know if you remember, uh, Ross and Marion, uh, reflected. They, they play, yep. play our to- tower, tower and, uh, departure. Uh, yes. they had a party and I went over to their house. They were a really nice setup. So I sat on it for a little bit and, and put the goggles on and messed around, but that's about it. But I'm excited to go back and, and play our game at their place. Awesome. So they had yeah. VR, VR goggles. Nice. Pull a, pull a cockpit, yeah. like the whole... High-end setup.
5: Well, it's funny. Like with with, yeah. with Jello, who who never got a heck. I mean, he, he just doesn't want to play DCS. He tried it, he liked it, but not so much to come back to it. And on the other hand, it's Mooch, yeah. who plays every day now and flies all the time. So
3: yeah, Mooch does. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah,
5: he's all with it all the time. So it's it's funny. All right. So um, can you say something about the release date, or it's it's not? I know it's DCS, so you never know exactly, but approximately.
6: Approximately January-ish, but yeah, you never I know. You don't mm. say
5: the year on purpose, right?
6: <laughs> I, I, I have no idea. I can I can tell you I can tell you the exact release date, the day after it's released. Okay? That's really <laughs> close enough. <laughs> We are fairly confident, though, that it will be next year. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, well, that's 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 normal. Yeah, but well, I'm looking forward to it. I'll, I'll be giving you some back some feedback as I fly. Uh, so far, I mean, as I said, only one mission in, but I love it. I don't have that much time, but it's it's such a nice, refreshing thing to fl- fly someone else's missions. Because if you build missions, you usually yeah. just fly yours because you don't have time for anything else. So I'm looking forward to doing more of that. I don't know. If you have anything else to add, uh, or did I miss something important? Because I might have.
6: Yeah, maybe just one little thing. At the beginning, you said it's based on Paco's movie *Speed and Angels*, but it's also based on his book *Lions of the Sky*, especially the deployment okay, part. Yeah.
5: Yeah, I must say I I read the book, but I don't think I've seen the movie. I need to do it now. Definitely. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah you should yeah.
3: see the movie. So yeah, it's. That's that was reflected's pitch for me. He's like, hey, you got this movie, you got this book, let's do a mashup of the two. And I mean, for me, new to this DCS world, the exciting part was to create something that was as real to life as possible. You know, a really cool training campaign, and then a really awesome, challenging real life uh, combat scenario at the end. That that was as close to you know fictional excitement as you could get.
5: So the adversaries will be, as in the book, the Chinese?
6: Yep. Yeah. Yep.
5: Well, okay, I'm looking forward to it. Maybe but by that time I'll be as good, I mean, I'll be not able to, to fight in the Tomcat. <laughs> so far I'm struggling with keeping it straight and level, but uh,
3: it's... Start at FAM1.
5: Yeah, I've been too much in the Hornet and it's much easier, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Fly by wires. Anybody. <I> <laughs>
3: My grandmother
5: can fly the hornet. Exactly. Th- thank you. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, all right, guys. I think so. If that's, the, I think that's it. Uh, uh, people should be excited. I'm, I definitely can tell them they should be excited after what I'm seeing, and I haven't seen much of it yet. But uh, I'll I'll probably do what you did, reflected with the Raven One. I'll put it up some some small review, maybe closer to the release date, if that's okay. And I'm sure it will be. Thanks.
6: Blowing. And please keep sending me your, your feedback and some ideas. I'd appreciate that. Yeah, like that. the flat
5: spin recovery from mission one.
6: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
5: Okay. we Will do. All right. That's it. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, hope to see you soon. Awesome. Somewhere in, in real life. Maybe next year at the Hook would be great.
3: Yeah. Let's make it happen. Next year at Hook, we'll have a DCS table. Nice. Do some heavy metal dancing. Yeah.
5: We have a plan. Hosted by Mooch. <laughs> exactly. No, he, he plays guitar. Yeah, he has his band, I think, as well.
6: Yeah, nice. Yeah, you play as
5: well, Yeah, Reflected, right? Yep. To get some gem session. <laughs> 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 All right, guys. Cool. Thank you very much.
6: Thank you. It was nice talking to you. Nice to have you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
4: I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I think, um, and I remember when um, Paco and Reflected started to get together, and, um, and I remember, I was thinking about it, and I was like, it's going to be tough to take lines of the Sky or Speeding Angels, but they, you know, from what I've seen, they've done an amazing job of really bringing something incredible forward.
5: If I'm not mistaken, the the main the funny thing here is that the main character is a girl, and she's voiced by the, the same person who was actually in the documentary. So yeah, Megan. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. So,
0: B D, you've done. At least, at least one. How many training campaigns have you done? I know you did the A ten one. Was there another one?
5: No, oh, uh, the Mirage two thousand one, which was like k- k- kind of training one, and then training missions for the Harrier. Yeah.
0: Did Did you find that those were popular? I, I guess what I'm asking, I'm curious, like how we talk about You know, the 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 game being study level. I'm just curious how many people actually put in the time to study, <laughs> and and how they do it.
5: I think they are more popular than one would expect, because mm. uh, normal single-player campaigns, well, only those who play for single player would touch them. But if you have a training campaign, there's also some people who play multiplayer that want to learn, and that's a good way for them to do that. So um, I, I found that the A10 campaign, the, the uh, iron flag, was very popular and people really like it. And now we're working with, uh, with Jello and Kevin Miller on the third part of the Raven 1, which will be a training campaign.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think especially for those more complex aircraft, I mean, I enjoyed, I didn't finish it because I'm lazy, but, uh, but the A-10 training was good because it, yeah, it just kind of step by step threw you through there. Um, so I think that's good for the more complex aircraft, absolutely.
5: So here for the speed and angels, it's nice because when you start off, uh, you, you you have you have the, um, how do you call them? Those indications of the cockpit, so what you need to press first, yeah. next, etc. Yeah. But it'll take you from the first missions are really basic stuff, but then it's going more and more uh, detailed and more and more complex. So it's a great pace that they managed to achieve there. Right on. Uh-
0: wasn't there just an announcement about a more dynamic campaign generator in DCS?
5: I thought I saw something about that. Oh, it's been announced a long time ago, so it's, it's been yeah. But most, I mean, like, like, like it's actually coming, yeah.
0: not like you know, yeah, well, eventually we're gonna one day do this and eventually have multi-threading. <clears throat> but like, like there's no kidding coming like soon.
4: There was there was something announced, I think last Friday that they said that they're making progress on it. So I imagine yeah. they've reached milestone. Okay.
0: Enigma, are you looking forward to a dynamic server? I saw your video, and you talked about the dreaded BMS and its
1: campaign generator. Uh, I mean, yes, of course. Sorry, I'm just thinking. Um, yeah, I mean, when they make it, I look forward to it. Um, I hope it's multiplayer day one. Um, that's, the, that's kind of the big question mark. I mean, the two question marks is, when is it coming? What will it do? And, and will it be multiplayer day one? I, I, I saw, I forget which ED person it was, but I think they were suggesting that it was gonna be single player only. Um, Nick Gray actually watched that video. He actually commented and I asked him if it would be multiplayer only. He said he'll, he'll um, <laughs> <I'll check. laughs> he heard the request, so we'll see. Um, <laughs> but if it's if it's single player day one, I think that I would be very disappointed. Um, but I even if it does come in single player only, despite disappointment, it, it it must it has to be multiplayer c- capable at some point, right?
0: Well, I guess it depends on how it all works. But I mean, you can take a single player. I mean, I could take a Baltic Dragon campaign, and I can make it multiplayer. I can only do it mission by mission. I can't make it like you know dynamic or whatever. But I can take your missions and and change them and make a multiplayer. No, I've done it with other campaigns. I'll put it that
5: way, not it's not that easy. I mean, not not those missions, probably most of them you could, but if they're too scripted, it, it's difficult.
0: yeah, well, sure, then you're going to run into issues of scripting and things, but if you just take a general like so, for instance, that liberation I don't enigma, have you ever played with the liberation campaign generator?
1: A little bit, yeah, yeah.
0: so kind of the same concept. It's just making a mission, and then you can go in there and change stuff the The, the
1: issue is the issue is that um, how many players there are. And the server br- and the server browser list because most players just go on the server browser, I would imagine, and sort by players, so they join like the f- just the handful of servers that have population, and if you look into your DCS login on the ED website, you can actually go into the server browser and you can see how many players are on an accounts, open beta, and stable branch at the same time. Now the number there is generally around it'll say like twenty five hundred concurrent players on, right? And that seems like a big number, but then it also counts the amount of servers that are on there and each server has one client on there. So once you take that 2,500 and subtract it by the number of servers, at any given point in DCS, there's only about 500 to 1,000 concurrent players playing at the same time. And once you break that number up between, you know, the 60, whatever, that are playing on Growling Signwinder, the 70 that are playing on our server, the 80 or so across all different Hoggett servers, and, and so on, all of a sudden there's like not enough population. So the liberation thing, if I remember correctly, you have to take the server down in order to generate a new mission, and then bring it back up. And that downtime refreshes, cleans out the population and you have to rebuild it from scratch. So in order to hit that critical mass, like you could maybe hit it, but then you're gonna have to kill it again and then bring it back up. And that's that's not an easy thing.
0: Yeah, I think, and, and I'm not smart on any of this stuff, but I use the liberation to create sort of a a homegrown campaign just with my friends um but yeah i I don't know enough but uh, how how you would use it to like just have a public server i don't i don't yeah i don't think it necessarily translates but it was good for a sort of mission generator i guess you could call it you know a campaign generator um which is a little bit different obviously than what we're what we're talking about and hoping that does come along but no i agree with you i you know for me I just don't play single player DCS. Not, not really. Um, I, I enjoy multiplayer because kind of goes back to what we were talking about of flying the aircraft within its limitations. Um, it's kind of the same thing, right? Combat there's limitations. And a lot of that has to do with who you're with and how you're flying and who you're talking to and and how you're communicating. Um, and that's the part that I enjoy. I don't, I don't enjoy the stick wiggling. I, I enjoy the, the communication and the coordination and stuff. So, so yeah, I'm looking forward to, to hopefully that, you know, being, being something uh, uh, that can help with the server server builds in the future. Because, I mean, it just sounds like to, to hear you talk about the Cold War server, just the amount of effort and uh, uh, hard work that's put into building something like that. I mean, that, that's rare. That's a very rare trait to find people that are going to put that sort of time into sort of your, your hobby, essentially your side project.
1: Yeah, it's ironic because it's ironic because at the beginning I was more of an IL two player, and I still consider myself in my mind like as an IL two player. Like I, I probably spent more playing more IL two uh, lately th- than DCS. But um, like I said, like th- there's a very interesting concept here that I think that could have been made, and we made it. And and seeing people get excited for it has been really motivating to keep it going. So it is a time suck, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: All right. Well, we've been talking for about an hour. Uh, we'll go ahead and start wrapping it up. But before we do that, I do want to uh, slide in this last interview that Rob did a, a while back with RJ Simtech, um, which essentially creates what's uh, a, basically a new type of track IR. Rob, do you want to paraphrase for us?
4: Yeah. I had a great conversation um, with RJ Simtech about their. Uh, Uh, essentially track IR device that's wireless and rechargeable and works fantastic. So if you, for me, I don't particularly like to be tethered at the head with a lot of cables. So uh, this device is fantastic. And uh, what we kind of go into is a lot of the industrial design and thought process that he put into making it himself. And so it's, it's pretty fantastic. It's really interesting to learn. He's also working on Uh, A magnetic switch for the F-14, which is kind of his thing. Uh, But trying to figure out how you can have some of those switches that actually flip back um, after you know after the Mm. uh, you know like a magnetic release. For example, the yeah, thank you. That started up and then all of a sudden, boom, it pops back. So it's really cool. It was a really it was really great to have the conversation with him, learn how his approach and how he does it. And then I can, I'm a big fan of the product. All right. Hey, folks, uh, we're lucky enough today to have uh, Josh Miller from r and SimTech with us to discuss uh, some of the products that he's worked on, is going to work on, and is, has in progress as well. So I was, uh, I came across Josh's work uh, on, uh, on the internet, and some people were talking about his IR TrackStar And so I went ahead and I uh, purchased it and got it. And I thought, how this is really cool because one of the things that I know uh, for myself, I've been trying to do is to get less wires connected to my head. So uh, needless to say, when I got it and put it together and uh, put it in my system, it worked fantastic. And I thought, boy, we got to get Josh on to talk about uh, how he put this together. Now, All things being fair, this is actually our second interview, because the first one I did uh, was not recorded uh, in a a consumable format for whatever reason. So thanks, Josh, for uh, uh, coming back on and talking about the same thing with me again.
2: Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm on. Sure. So tell us a
4: little bit about um, how you got started um, with putting together these products and uh, the story of the IR TrackStar.
2: Uh yeah so as you know like most people that do DIY projects it was kind of uh one of those things I was just tinkering around with in the shop and uh you know obviously I've, everyone's had the uh, the pro clip from uh, tr- from track uh five I guess it would be the uh, natural point uh, mm-hmm. little flimsy you know held together with duct tape uh, headset and figured if I was gonna remake it I might as well improve it so I've been you know making tweaks to it and adjustments to it over the past few years and a buddy of mine uh, I asked for one I shipped it off to him and he recommended that I start selling them so I found myself on Etsy and here we are.
4: Yeah it's pretty interesting now you uh, by training are an industrial designer right?
2: I am Uh, so I work on a wide range of projects Um, I've done everything from Oil and gas pipelines to architectural projects, water treatment facilities—you uh, name it. Um, as a designer, I'm primarily using CAD software. I'm kind of an interim between a draftsman and an engineer. I kind of have background in both, and uh, so I create a three-dimensional model of whatever the specs of the project are from the engineer, from the um, you know the mathematical point of view. They handle that side of it, and. Uh, I take the schematics and build a facility out of it, and create a drawing package, and it goes off to the builders to go make it.
4: Very cool. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, and I, I wasn't familiar with a lot of the uh, ins and outs of industrial design until later, and I'm just a big fan. I think it's really cool the idea of being able to conceive of something and actually make it, make and design a product and make it come to fruition. So. There's a yeah. pretty cool movie about that as well. Are you familiar with it? No, huh? Okay, well, I'll I'll let you talk about it for a second, and I'll try to see if I can find the name of that movie.
2: Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, so I think uh, 3D printing has really opened up a lot of doors for just general handy people or DIY kind of enthusiasts uh, to be able to make our own stuff and. You know, I think that's fantastic. There's quite a few head trackers out there. Um, I'm obviously partial to mine, but um, you know, aside from that, there's switch panels and joysticks and throttles and all kinds of stuff that you can get from Etsy and from people's personal websites. But they're building them at home. You know, it's just a side business, and uh, you know, they're able to manufacture all the components at home with you know desktop CNC machines and 3D printers and what have you. So I think that in and of itself has opened up. Uh, especially for the flight sim community, a lot of options. Um, yep. I know Verpal started out as just a small shop, you know, not, you know, that dissimilar from my own. Um, and obviously they've expanded quite a bit. They're in Florida now. So, um, but yeah. Um, and also I have a pair of uh, uh, MFG Crosswind pedals. And it's literally just plates of graphite CNC'd, but the thing looks fantastic. It's obviously super precise and, uh, you know, I've had Thrustmaster and Logitech rudder pedals and, uh, you know, to go to an MFG Crosswind is like night and day. So, And it's, you know, a guy that just, uh, I think his family owns a furniture store and he helps out with that. But, you know, this is his you know, kind of passion project. And, um, you know, so the ability for these individuals who have great ideas but don't have, you know, the backing of, you know, multi-million dollar corporation behind you. You know, it's awesome to be able to bring this stuff to market.
4: It's really cool. Um, just for reference, the the movie I saw was called Objectified. And I saw it probably like 10 years ago. And it was about, um, and it, it talked about industrial design and kind of talked about how uh, you can, and, and, and again, this was more in terms of some companies and people that would make chairs and how the entire design process would bring it to fruition. But, you know, it's funny you were saying that uh, about, you know, 3D printers and some of the tools that are enabling folks today. And, you know, I got a 3D printer in the house. But this one person that really blew away was my father. So my my dad came and he saw it and I said, he goes, well, what's that? And I explained it to to him how it works. And He just couldn't get his, I couldn't, you know, it was, it just totally blew him away that you could actually do something like that.
2: Yeah. I mean, and the crazy thing is I, I actually make a lot of parts in aluminum. Uh, just for my own DIY projects. And I have a a furnace, or a little foundry, that I use for melting down aluminum. And I use my 3D printer and print it in castable resin. It's a resin that actually melts away. So it's uh, lost wax casting is the, the process that I use. So I'll create the part as well as the the tree uh, you know, to connect it for a pore spout, essentially. And I'll 3D print that, cast it in... Uh, plaster of Paris, melt out the the castable resin, and it leaves a hollow void for the part, and then I just go outside, fire up the furnace, and I've got a metal part. So, I mean, to be able to do that at home to me is fascinating. I love that kind of stuff. Um, And I'm actually working on a a new project. It's going to be essentially a a replica of the F-14 Tomcats ignition panel. So it's going to have a magnetic auto-return-to-center switch, Mm. which is kind of a big deal, because there's not many of them out there. Uh, there's a few DIY projects on the the internet that you can find to make your own, but um, I'm kind of excited to actually put it in a, a more production-worthy package and be able to ship that out. Uh, but all of the components of the magnetic switch are all going to be cast. They have to be unique, uh, at least the way I designed it. So, um, but I just I I actually have a a magnetic switch from Honeywell. It's one I got off uh, eBay for about 600 bucks and i did not like the feel of it um it just it feels flimsy and i mean it functions it just i didn't like it so (laughs) went to the drawing board and started over and i'm pretty happy with where i'm kind of at on my current state of the the switch um but still lots to to do on it so it's probably going to be mid to end of winter before i'm at a position where i can actually start selling it but um, I hate putting deadlines on those things because I actually said I was going to have it done in the spring <laughs> <And> <laughs> that didn't happen so um, unfortunately i you know my busy time for my day job as well as my side business with r j simtech is really you know late spring to early winter is you know kind of a window so winters i'm slow i 've got nothing else to do i 'll be in the shop tinkering and making stuff so hopefully I have something ready for people by spring
4: that's awesome now I, I must admit um, i'm don't know any. I don't know anybody else who actually has a, a a furnace to melt aluminum. But I that's that's absolutely very cool.
2: Yeah, they're not expensive. Uh, I think mine was like 180 or something um, on Amazon, and it just you can uh, it works up to a five kilo uh, five kilogram um, crucible, so you can get five kilograms of steel or melt or well, it doesn't melt steel, but aluminum or other softer metals, oh. and uh, yeah, it works pretty well. I like it.
4: That's really cool. Well, kind of going back to your original product, and I think you're on yeah. version three right now.
2: Yeah, three, three point five. <laughs> it's oh. uh, it's evolved quite a bit. Um, I'm actually I'm getting ready to update uh, um, inventory on my site at the moment. It's sold out uh, here for the the Black Friday sale, um, but I. Run a three to four week lead time anyone who's purchased one for me knows my lead times are all over the place um I do have a day job so I mean I have to keep my priority there but uh, I do you know work nights weekends trying to keep up with with orders and uh, I do try to keep people apprised of you know when there are significant delays like right now because the holidays <laughs> but um but yeah so I, I manage inventory at my site though just to keep the lead time from getting you know exorbitant um so i know several the the kind of diy shops that are selling stuff have leave times of several months i just i hate having that hanging over me my stress level will be through the roof (laughs) so i uh, i try to to manage it a little bit
4: well you know i have to say you know and, and again you know kudos to you i think one of the things when i got it and it was interesting for me when we were talking about it previously A couple, a couple things that I just thought were amazing is I thought the fit and finish of the product was really, really good, and I think you uh, you know. And and again, it was sort of having been a an ad hoc 3D printing guy myself, it was interesting to hear about your process of 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 resin printing it and yeah, uh, putting it together.
2: Yeah, so I actually started out uh, using an FDM printer, which is the printer that most people are familiar with. It's just a spool of plastic, and it deposits, I mean, it melts it and deposits, you know, one layer after another. Um, I wasn't hugely fond of the appearance of it. Um, Structurally, it was fine. Uh, You know, it wasn't overly heavy or anything like that. It just, I didn't like the look of it. And it also limited the shapes I could make with it. Um, So... I had originally picked up a resin printer just to kind of tinker with it and test it out, and it sat on my shelf for months before I even printed my first print on it. Um, finally, got around to using it and was absolutely blown away. So, what it is is essentially use a liquid resin that is UV curable, so UV light cures it almost instantly. It only takes you know a few seconds. Um, and beneath the vat, where you put the, the liquid resin, is a LCD screen with a UV light beneath it. So if you can imagine you know, the screen of your phone, the LCD that shows the image isn't actually what produces the light. Um, the light is a backlight that goes behind it. Uh, so what the resin printers use is a monochromatic LCD screen that displays the shape of each layer, and or at least a void of the shape of each layer and the UV light underneath is constantly shining. And so the whatever is not filled in on the LCD screen is what is displayed to essentially the layer um, for that layer. And then, you know, the LCD image goes completely black. It lifts it up, raises it back down. Um, I think the layers on it right now, I've got it set at 50 microns. So pretty thin layers. And uh, it does it again. So, I mean, there's, you know, 5, 6, 7,000 layers per print, and it just works fantastic. It, print times are roughly similar to that of FDM printing. Um, it's usually about, depending on my printer, I've got a couple Crealities that run, like, 5 seconds per layer, and my Anycubic um, Photon Mono runs about 1.2 seconds per layer. Um, and then, obviously, the time to lift it up and raise it back down between each layer. So, um but the process works out fantastic in terms of finish um, mm-hmm. because you don't see the layer lines. What you do see is kind of a wood grain finish from the edges of each pixel of the LCD screen. Um, but other than that, I mean, the the print quality from FDM to resin was, it blew my mind. So I decided to redesign it from scratch, and that is the, the version we have now. So in um, version 3 and version, f- well, uh, version 3RS, which... 3.5, 4, whatever you want to call it, um, are the first iterations that I did on the uh, the resin printing. And I am working on a version 5 eventually, but it's literally just going to be a, uh, to make assembly quicker. So hopefully I can bring the price down a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll see how that goes. but um, And we're actually going to do away with having two versions. So version 3 is a little bit heavier. Um, the battery is... Uh, 1,600 milliamp hours, and the RS has a 1,500 milliamp hour battery, so very similar run times, 8 to 10 hours, give or take. Um, and they're rated for 1,000 charge cycles, so you know the battery's not replaceable. It should last for quite a while. Um, and I actually purposely kind of overrated the batteries a bit, just so that as they age, even though the battery life will decrease you know, over a period of years, it'll still be a usable battery life for quite a long time. So, I think at the both batteries are rated at a thousand uh, charge cycles at eighty percent, meaning that after they go through a thousand charge cycles, you still have eighty percent being your full capacity. So, um, you know, it's still plenty for you know your average session on uh DCS or Star Citizen or you know whatever it is you play. And uh, some I I've had mine for at least this iteration of it for about a year now and I'm still getting about eight and a half hours on it. So, uh, you know, I don't foresee longevity being too big of an issue, but again, I haven't had them long enough to to really test the, uh, the full, you know, what they're like after yep. five or six years. So,
4: yeah, no, but I, you know, and I appreciate, you know, we went back and forth. It was funny because I had ordered, uh, and I bought a charger that uh, was not, um, doing its job. And it was funny because you pointed me to the right charger. I got that. And as soon as I started using the right charger, uh, man, it was night and day. So, yeah. you know, I, I appreciated well, the uh, the customer support.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, that. yeah, of course. And that's partially my fault. I mean, I had listed the charger or the correct charger in the description kind of buried down. I mean, I've got a long description. I put a whole bunch of info in there about it. But um, nobody was noticing it. <laughs> and... Uh, it's not printed on the body of the, the design or anything. So people were using chargers that didn't have the correct rating. Um, and I actually don't include a charger just because it's right underneath uh, 8 ounces um, when it's all packaged up. And USPS charges per 8 ounces. So it would literally double the cost of shipping to add a charger. And mm-hmm. most people already have one. So I was like, yep. you know what? Buy your own. So, <laughs> But, I mean, having said that, uh, the... The correct charger is 5 volts, 1 amp. Uh, it doesn't matter, any, anything else about the charger is fine, it just has to be 5 volts, 1 amp. Uh, it can be an Apple charger, it can be you know one of the generic ones you get from the convenience store, doesn't matter. Um, but, because it's a USB-C, which I chose over USB micro just for the durability sake, because micros were a horrible design. Um, but people think that just because it's USB-C, they can plug in any USB-C, you know, quick chargers and whatever else, and it'll work, which, unfortunately, it does not. Um, and actually, if you put a charger on with too much amperage, you can actually fry the battery, So, or at least the charging board, which, I mean, bricks it. So, um, it does have to be 5-volt, 1-amp. Uh, that is actually the first paragraph on my uh, mm-hmm. product description now, and I do include a little note with uh, each of them to remind people. So... Um, but it is important to use the correct charger on it because the collapsible, uh, collapsible undercurrent, whatever protection uh, with the charging board, it will collapse if it doesn't have uh, the correct voltage and amperage coming through. So it tries to protect it unless it's just you know way outside of what it can handle. But um, the only way you can actually keep the the kind of gates open on the charging board is to have the correct voltage and amperage. So.
4: Yeah, and I think in my case I had purchased one specifically for it off Amazon, but the one it, I picked just it's a, apparently it was not uh it wasn't yeah, frying it, but it, it was just strange. It just didn't work. Yeah,
2: it's been uh, I've noticed there are a handful of chargers and uh, I think it's actually the cable more than the charger um mm. that it's picky with. Um uh, so if you have if you have the correct voltage uh, uh, I can't even talk today. <laughs> I've been outside so my mouth is frozen, but um but yeah, if you have the correct voltage and amperage on the like the wall adapter. Yeah. Um, and I do recommend a straight off-the-wall adapter with a USB-A port and a USB-C on the other end of the plug. Um, and I say that because some USB-C cables have an extra wire in them, um, like the USB-C to USB-C, like a quick charge cable. Um, and that wire isn't compatible with this board, so that will cause problems as well. Um, but, I mean, even with the correct wall adapter, I have noticed some, I mean, even if they're USB-A to USB-C, some cables just don't work. Um, I haven't narrowed down exactly the reason why. It seems to be relatively rare, but anytime someone messages, the first thing I check obviously is the the specs of the charger, but uh, you know, I'm like, hey, do you have another cable you can try? <laughs> so seriously, swap it out, it makes a difference. But uh, But, yeah, so, I mean, they are a little bit picky. Unfortunately, that is the only charging board I can use for this battery specifically and to get the specs I needed. So, I mean, there's a couple manufacturers, but I mean, for the most part, it's the same board. So that's uh, kind of what we're left with.
4: But. Uh, I, it's, like you said, I, I think once I got everything squared away and was using the right, I guess, cable, uh, you know, I have no complaints. And again, again man, now I'm, you know, overall. Now, one thing I did want to bring up in the end that we had talked about before, which I thought was fascinating, was even in your design process uh, for the device, you know, one of the things you were even testing is like, you know, um, if it falls, will it break? And so I thought, you know, even when you're thinking about even larger companies, I, I really appreciate your attention to detail and making sure that, you know, you're trying to make sure that the device itself was durable.
2: Well, I mean, well, thank you for saying that, but I mean, honestly, I was building it for myself more than I was building it to sell it, at least when I initially started designing it, so, and I do, I mean, I I build them to use myself, even the new versions, so, you know, I want something that's going to work well for myself, I've obviously had the the pro clip before, that was, actually, I had three of them, and after my third one was on its like, seventh layer of duct tape, I decided I was going to make my own, and, uh, i saw a couple online i didn't really like the appearance of them and decided i could make something a little snazzier looking so i gave it a shot and um it's before i even began selling it actually went through several iterations of just testing out different components different leds different there's actually a, a coating that i put on the leds to um help diffuse the light they're also sanded um you know and so a whole lot actually went into kind of getting them where they are um and obviously, I get a lot of feedback from customers. Um, you know, some people are saying they run hot or they get hot when they're charging. So actually, for the first time ever using CFD software computational fluid dynamics, uh, it's basically like uh, a simulated wind tunnel type software. Um, so I use that to uh, basically redesign the vents on the body of it for the convection cooling effect. So the battery heats up, creates airflow and as long as the uh, you know the vents are correctly positioned and you know properly sized it can create enough flow to get the hot air out of the case and kind of cools itself without actually having to have a fan in it um so that was something i did on both the rs and the v3 um, so they do run a lot cooler now uh, they're cooler when charging i mean they do get warm i mean obviously, but uh nothing that's gonna feel like it's burning up or anything like that um as far as dropping them, obviously the the pro clip was a little on the fragile side. <laughs> um, it's not indestructible. I mean, I recommend against dropping them. But yeah. <laughs> and if depending on the angle, if it lands directly on the tips, it's most likely going to break one. And I actually designed them to be straight uh, for a little bit before they start curving into the body, just so it has a place to break and be taped if you know necessary. So um, as long as it doesn't break the wires, it should be okay to just tape it up and keep using it um but it's actually designed to be usable after being taped you know you don't have to have one kind of wiggling around on the end every time you move your head so um i'd actually designed the the mounting arm uh actually this is probably the seventh or eighth version of the mounting arm but um i actually designed it to press up the bar press up against the body a little bit to spread out the impact in case of a drop so um i mean if it didn't do that my first iteration of this kind of design um at least with the resin printer it was breaking off the mounting point whenever i would drop it um and it still will i mean if it hits you know at the wrong angle or if it hits you know if you drop it from a high altitude or throw it against the wall or whatever mm-hmm. you know it's going to still break but it, by giving it some pressure against the uh you know the body it was able to spread out the impact a bit and seems to be a little more durable so um, certainly more durable than the Pro, pro Clip, but uh, I mean, you know, it's not indestructible. So don't go uh, <laughs> seeing how yeah. far how I far was you can throw l- it before I, it breaks. Yeah, but.
4: just to clarify my point, I appreciate the thinking that went into it in terms of yeah, yeah. Uh, But but please, folks, don't. <laughs> this doesn't mean <make> it's <laughs> <this> indestructible. <laughs> it is plastic.
2: It, you yeah. know, I mean, there's only so much you can <laughs> do with a a resin printed you know plastic part. But I mean, they are pretty durable. I mean, they're certainly built to last, and you know. If I've actually replaced some that do get broken and, you know, mounting arms rarely do get broken, but when they do, I'll just ship one out. I mean, I'm not too concerned about it. So That's cool.
4: Well, um, so I wanted to also uh, uh, just sort of, sort of finish up and say, Hey, obviously um, when I started going down this road, I appreciate it. Obviously I'm a fan of the product, but for me, it was kind of great to be able to, untether myself with the wires on my headset. And again, I'm not a VR flyer at this point, so I've really enjoyed it. So I just uh, wanted to make sure that, um, you know, we could give you a little bit of exposure because this is a great product. Obviously, I'm a big fan.
2: Well, I appreciate that, thank you. And yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't spend really anything on advertising. Um, I've tried before and it's like, you know, (laughs) Google advertisement, you'll spend 300 bucks a month and advertising for like, three sales which made no sense right so <laughs> I don't uh maybe I just need to go to school or something for that but I don't uh I don't mess with advertising so I'll you know I'll post on reddit I'm in several discord channels and you know I'll let people know when I'm running a sale and stuff and for the most part it's just word of mouth and um, you know a few people have done YouTube videos which boost sales as well and you know I, I appreciate the the video reviews and the podcast interviews and things so I mean that's kind of that's how i get it out there i guess so i appreciate that
4: and i believe he also donated a few uh for franksgiving yeah
0: absolutely uh and a big thank you to uh him and the team over there for supporting the charity uh which we did raise uh, over sixty four hundred dollars for cancer research and treatment so a big thank you for uh rnj simtech and ed and baltic dragon and just a ton of other people, Thrustmaster, VKB, and uh, even some just some dudes who are like, "Hey, I want to, I want to uh, contribute." So, a big thanks to them. And uh, and Rob, I heard you say that you don't like to be bound by your head. So clearly, you've never been to Thailand, but that's okay.
4: I, <laughs> I well, I have a lot of issues, and uh, <laughs> that one, you are correct. I have that's not good. been to Thailand. No, I, haven't <laughs> to... either. I,
0: I can only imagine um all right well yeah. we will wrap it up there i want to say a big thanks to enigma for taking time out of his day his busy day of squashing bugs on the cold war server and i think i think starting a new job soon or something i know there's some some time off you had or you're getting ready to get started so we greatly appreciate you taking the time to, to hang out with us and, and talk nerd stuff
1: No, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Uh, It was uh, good to chat, and uh, I I was really interested to see what questions you guys had, so I hope I answered all of them. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And uh, as always, Baltic Dragon bringing a sort of quiet dignity to this show, and, uh, and Rob Grady bringing neither of those.
4: I I brought I brought very little to this and and guys I I want to tell you that I do think we need to talk about sky penises but at some point <laughs> here. so uh I had to bring that back into it so got to fold it right. back That's right so in. we we do and uh <laughs> and lose the dignity but um maybe <laughs> the best ones of 2022 for the next episode so I'm looking oh, forward to that
0: yeah yeah we got to get started guys, on Guys our- send us screenshots <laughs> Yeah, send us your screenshots. We will share them on Facebook and anywhere else that fine pictures are displayed for people. Uh, absolutely, we need to have our our semi or our annual uh, sky penis competition and hand out uh, Baltic Dragon it, campaigns as rewards. I think that'll be.
2: <laughs>
0: volunteers. You really campaign. need to fold that into one of your missions. <laughs> like, okay, okay, recruit on this flight. We're gonna go create a sp- big sky penis.
5: <laughs> <laughs> with proper briefing yeah sure
0: and here i was thinking <laughs> that we had like a really really we we're going to show our best face for our guest and we've let it devolve but <sighs> uh, yeah he's he's he's
4: about to jump because <laughs> yeah he hasn't so. logged out yet so he's still good <laughs> of course he
0: lives in but new york city we did well so he's for 56 minutes
4: yeah yeah we held it together That's for true. as long as
0: we could normally we start with with the bad stuff
1: It's it's ironic because the last interview that I listened had that joke in there, so it's actually perfect timing. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, we aim to please. Well, well, next time you're on, we'll start with that. (laughs) Yeah, well, maybe I'll do some creative editing. All right. Well, I think we will wrap it up there. Thanks again, all of you guys, and thanks for those people at home listening to this ridiculous show, sharing it with your friends. Of course, you can support us on Patreon, but you don't really have to. You just have to hit share and like and subscribe and whatever. I don't even, do we put this on YouTube? I don't even know.
5: Wait, we have a
0: Patreon? Yeah, we have a Patreon. Oh, OK. It's not very big, but we have one. And I'm glad you uh, are learning that, because so are probably a lot of other people who could donate right now and make this show exactly. great again. Yeah,
5: so keep. Oh, and Happy New Year, everyone. And Happy New Year. Year. Happy, Happy New so, Year. Yep,
4: yep. Happy and, we New do, Year. and we do have a YouTube channel, so. Oh, it is on YouTube. Indeed. Okay.
0: Perfect. Alrighty. Well, I think that's it. Thanks everybody and we'll talk to you later.
5: Thank you. See
2: ya. Bye bye. This has been the Air Combat Sim Podcast, a BBR production. Music by Vampire Step there Wanna support the show? Check out our Patreon. Follow us on Facebook, and be sure to leave a comment and rating.